Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about, uh, first of all, a psychological autopsy of Cho Sung Wee, the 23-year-old South Korean young man who uh, was the perpetrator of the massacre at Virginia Tech on April 16, 2007. And um, one of the things that is interesting when we look at um, the traits that he had the ways of uh, detecting a mass murderer, and essentially there are ten traits that he uh, had and that are the classic profile of a mass murderer. And one of them, uh, or part of this whole uh, perspective, has to do with the interaction between violence and the media, which is one of my pet topics, (laughs) because I have been researching for years how there's this phenomenon of copycat uh, killing and copycat violence in general. But we'll uh, talk more about that as it relates to Cho Sung Wee. And then also later on in the show, we're going to be talking with uh, Dr. Nicole Tartaglia, who is with a group um, who was not very happy about the CSI Miami season finale. Uh, she is a spokesperson for the group KS&A, which stands for Knowledge, Support, and Action. And that is an organization dedicated to helping individuals with one or more extra X and or Y chromosomes. And uh, the season finale of uh, CSI Miami um, portrayed a killing that uh, where the killer did indeed have the extra Y chromosome. But more about that later. <laughs> Let's stick with Cho Sung Wee. Um, you know, one of the interesting, it's very difficult actually, even at this point, a month later, to do uh, a, a complete uh, autopsy, what's called a psychological autopsy, when someone um, either commits suicide or, uh, or kills other people and you're trying to figure out why. Um, but what's, what makes it a little more difficult, even a month later, is that uh, facts or so-called facts that came out closer to the event seem to be being denied or there's, you know, things like uh, whether or not he saw any mental health professionals. And it, it just makes it really difficult because um, you don't know where it's hard to know at this point whether people are just <laughs> covering themselves, not wanting to come forward and admit that they saw uh, this young man, because needless to say, they wouldn't have done a very good job had they, in fact, um, evaluated him as from a mental health perspective. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's uh, go down the list of these ten traits that um, I have formulated uh, to detect a mass murderer since, unfortunately, this um, profile, this phenomenon is becoming more and more common. And it is no coincidence that this is happening parallel to what we see in the world in terms of terrorism. Because, um, indeed, what we hear in the news every night and every day 
um, has to do with suicide bombers killing masses of people. So it is no wonder that uh, school shootings and other kinds of shootings, mall shootings, um, are taking down more and more people because, in a sense, it is a copycat, not just of movies or music or other media that they may have seen, but really the media is the news, seeing these things and the news. And this is infecting our psyche, um, not only in America but all over the world, this this phenomenon of um, taking down you know, being incredibly miserable, unhappy, and for numerous reasons, um, and and taking down other people and, and becoming or hoping to become a martyr in so doing. So one of the signs, one of these ten traits in regard to um, the Virginia Tech shooting and Cho Sung Wee um, has to do with signs of mental illness evident since birth or early childhood. And indeed, family members of Cho have said that he was almost mute from the beginning of his life, um, yet his relatives did not get him psychiatric or any kind of medical treatment. You know, they, they now say they were all aware of it, um, and it seemed odd or uh, somewhat bothersome to his mother, but they didn't do anything about it. And um, what this indicates to me is that he may have been born with a genetic predisposition to autism and or schizophrenia. Um, that muteness uh, can sometimes be a sign. And the muteness and his isolation, you know, not really... Um, having a very affectionate relationship with any of his family members, although there could be other reasons for that, notably uh, that, that his family members weren't treating him that way. But being somewhat isolated, distant, um, and having this problem with communication is typical of a child with autism, and sometimes this is related in later life or even in childhood, later childhood with schizophrenia. Um, Throughout his life, he was a loner, not just from the youngest ages, but up to his death, actually. Um, he was a loner, and he was kept in a prison of silence, except for the voices that he may have been hearing inside his head. The second uh, trait, child abuse and or neglect. This is, if you read the two plays that Cho wrote, it really, they really are very disturbing. Not only are they incredibly graphic, the language and the violence, but um, these two plays, Richard McBeef and Mr. Brownstone. Richard McBeef um, is the stepfather of a 13-year-old boy who uh, the stepfather molests. And there's a lot of sexual imagery in the play, um, and the mother of the child is not really very helpful to the child in protecting the child from this molestation. And the child also complains about uh, his stepfather not being able to provide financially for his mother. And in his other play, um, Mr. Brownstone, Mr. Brownstone is a math teacher, and um, the, the students in his class win money, and Mr. Brownstone takes it, um, but he also there's also the uh, fantasy of killing him, and um, the 
idea that he too was um, a sexual predator. So we have two plays, and yes, there were more writings, but these seem to be um, these seem to have been uh, uh, ones that were seen by his teachers and, and uh, caused them some concern. But both of these plays have older men, men in authority, who are exploiting him and not taking care of him, not protecting him. And he feels helpless and powerless and angry, and he wants revenge towards these two male father figures. Now, you know, needless to say, this presents a very strong possibility of there having been uh, sexual abuse and or physical abuse um, and or neglect in Cho's family. So far, that really has not, uh, has not, you know, been, <laughs> certainly his family has not admitted that uh, to this point. And, of course, also it implies emotional abuse. And we know that um, Cho lived in South Korea until he was eight years old when his, he came with uh, his family to America. And they lived in uh, South Korea in a basement apartment, and they were very poor. And indeed, that the basement, being in the basement, um, is something that takes place in the play, one of the plays as well. So there really does seem, just as with really any writer, there's always uh, a lot of autobiographical material, consciously or unconsciously, in writings. Deprivation. His plays also reflect financial deprivation, and family comments um, from p- members of his family have made comments about him and which reflect a family history that seems to reflect a deprivation of love and attention. I mean, obviously, they weren't paying very much attention to him or they would have gotten him help earlier on. This is a boy who went through his whole life being in a lot of emotional pain, and yet um, they did not get help. Now, you know, yes, it is true that certainly um, people of his culture as, you know, unfortunately in people of um, all cultures, still there is too much uh, fear of being labeled mentally ill, of being seen as, as uh, this being seen as shameful if a member of a family has mental illness. And, I mean, it goes on today, and not just in, in South Korea, it goes on all over the world, that people, that parents are not taking their children in to get help when they really need to. Um, and obviously, you know, even though there may not be results as dramatic and tragic as the Virginia Tech slings, but in fact there are very lots of uh, tragic, sad lives, you know, people in just living miserably, quiet, quiet and miserably sad lives, which could have been altered, uh, improved if their parents had brought them to therapists when they were young. Um, for trait number four, he was uh, he experienced teasing by his peers throughout his schooling. He was teased and picked on for his mumbling and his obvious low self-esteem. And what's interesting is that in general, children who are abused or neglected by their parents are more often picked on by their peers because the peers smell blood, which is the child's vulnerability. And whether it's making fun of a child mumbling, making fun of a child being too fat, whatever it is that that kids, you know, sort of brutally tease other kids about, 
they are more likely to tease a child uh, for whatever uh, quality if they already smell that this child is vulnerable because of low self-esteem that came from the way he was treated at his own home uh, very disrespectfully. Well, we need to take a break now. When we come back, we'll talk more of, of the the uh, ten traits of how to detect a mass murderer, of which we see a perfect profile in Cho Sung Wei. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's premier talk radio station, voiceamerica.com. Join Patricia Raskin, host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Positive Living, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's Every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy Easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're doing a psychological autopsy of Cho Sung Wee, 
the uh, Virginia Tech shooter, and I have been um, starting down my list of ten traits that you find in a mass murderer, and Cho Sung Wee, uh, unfortunately, fits the classic profile, and unfortunately was not stopped earlier in his trajectory towards tragedy. Trajectory towards tragedy, I like that. Um, you know, people focused on the two hours between the one set of murders and then the second set as though that were such a crime. And I'm not even going to address, you know, whether a, obviously a college does need to have a better way of alerting students to some kind of danger because, um, because there can be all kinds of things from tornadoes you know, with climate change, there's uh, increasing storms and tornadoes and, and all kinds of uh, Mother Nature seems to be going wild. And even more, or, well, also likely, um, is an attack by terrorists. And, you know, how did this college um, or, or other colleges, I don't want to just blame Virginia Tech, how many colleges have adequate ways of notifying their students of danger? whether it's Mother Nature or a terrorist or a school shooter. And that is an important issue. But in regard to Cho Sung Wee, what's even more important is not the two hours, but the 23 years. Um, he could have been stopped along the way by his parents, by teachers in elementary school or junior high school or high school, um, in college, the teachers who did read his plays and, and other writings and were horrified and yet apparently could not get help from other school officials to try to uh, get him help, sufficient help. Um, so going to the next uh, trait, we have obsession with violent media which provide the plot for the shooter's rage and desire for revenge. This is what's typical when children have been um, abused or neglected, they become filled with rage and a desire for revenge. And then these children are more attracted to violent media, whether it's movies or television shows or cartoons starting early in life or, um, did I say video games, lyrics? And um, the, these children who, who are so filled with rage are attracted to the violent media that then gives them an actual plot line for their revenge, for their rage. And um, Cho Sung-wee seems uh, typical of that in the sense that we know a few of the things that he seems to have been obsessed with, although now, you know, of course, of course, there's always this um, backlash, you know, the, to, to uh, try to not want to face the fact that violent media does indeed cause people to uh, call, create copycat violent acts. But in Cho Sung-wee's case, there was um, a South Korean movie called Old Boy, and in that movie, um, a very violent movie, and it's about a man who was mysteriously imprisoned for 15 years and after he escapes, he goes on a rampage against his captor. Well, you know, Cho Sung-wee, in a sense, projected. I mean, he may well have felt um, when he was growing up in his household, which could well, seems well to have been abusive or neglectful, um, he could well have felt as though he was being, he was ta um, imprisoned in it. And uh, his revenge, although he didn't, 
kill his family members, he killed his fellow students, certainly he projected onto them um, the rage that he felt towards his parents and uh, towards his family because they also um, neglected him and teased him, so in a sense abused him. And um, in the materials that Cho sent to NBC News to be received after the rampage, um, one of the photos shows him brandishing a hammer in a pose that's similar to the movie Old Boy's signature image, and that was in its promotional po- uh, posters. And also, in one of the screenplays that Cho wrote, it did feature killings with a hammer. So um, then there were also lyrics of music. I, I have not yet been able to um, find that they have detected um, whether or not he was obsessed with video games, but I would not be surprised, violent video games. We know, for example, he was also um, uh, obsessed with a, a number of songs. One of them was a song by Collective Soul called Shine, and it's really a rather sad song. Um, it's give me a word, give me a sign, show me where to look, tell me what will I find, lay me on the ground, fly me in the sky, show me where to look, tell me what will I find, oh heaven let your light shine down, oh heaven let your <laughs> Love is in the water, love is in the air, show me where to go, tell me will love be there, teach me how to speak, teach me how to share, teach me where to go, tell me will love be there. And it continues. But, you know, some of these lines, I mean, it's a beautiful song, um, and it reflects someone who's feeling very lost. And it's particularly poignant for Cho because teach me how to speak when he he never quite learned how to speak literally and, and never really expressed his voice until he finally did it in his last day before he committed suicide and took down all these people with him. And tell me, will love be there? I mean, obviously this was a young man who was looking for love in all the wrong places. Um, so these are some of the media that we know that he um, was ha- had seen, although, of course, some people are now trying to say that he didn't watch Old Boy. But, you know, there's always that kind of controversy because people don't want to admit that there can be that um, influence of the media. Then failure of him to be referred for psychiatric treatment early enough in life and failure of the mental health system to provide adequate treatment. Now, as I was saying at the beginning, you know, it seemed before there were all these reports of of mental health professionals who he did see at at the school campus mental health, and it seemed like there were other mental health professionals off campus who he saw after he had been referred by a judge uh, to be seen. But then there were reports that he never really went to these people, but... You know, I, I I tend to believe that he saw someone who was not quite, at least one person, who was not quite coming forward. There were questions of whether or not he ever took antidepressants. Um, so some of these things are still a mystery, but it does seem likely that he saw at least one mental health professional along the way, uh, probably because of his having stalked women at school and then uh, and the teachers also being worried about him at school. But in any case, apparently in Virginia there is not a law um, where he could have been committed to a psychiatric hospital involuntarily. And um, this apparently goes state by state. Certainly in California and in New York, 
there are laws that say that if someone is a danger to themselves, a danger to others, or uh, are gravely disabled, meaning that they can't provide food and clothing and shelter for themselves, that they can be um, involuntarily committed at least for 72 hours while they're being assessed. And obviously these are good laws because, um, because if someone would have seen him and had the courage to involuntarily commit him, this wouldn't have happened. Uh, another trait is shame. He lived in South Korea in a basement because of poverty. He still felt poor at Virginia Tech compared to the other students. He talked about them having Mercedes and trust funds and jewelry. And he would have also been shamed by um, parental abuse or neglect. Then the eighth trait is um, identity conflicts. He called himself question mark. That pretty much says it all. And he was unable to find an identity for himself because he grew up with parents who did not mirror him by reflecting back their unconditional love for who he was. So he was totally confused about who he was. Uh, trait number nine, he had sexual and or love problems and rejection. He didn't know how to get the love he craved, so instead he photographed girls and he stalked girls, and of course this alienated them even more. And each time a girl rejected him, it fueled his desire for revenge even more. And, of course, that was the first um, couple, the first girl who he killed was someone who he uh, reportedly had a crush on and who didn't return his love. And, of course, there may also have been, especially if he was molested by a father or father figure, um, sexual, sexual identity conflicts you know, a question mark about his sexual identity as well. And last but not least, terrorism. As I mentioned before, um, you know, what was really striking to me um, is how the videotape that Cho left uh, had the hallmarks of the videos that the suicide bombers leave behind in order to make themselves famous martyrs. And uh, that was, it was just so striking. There was the, that tone was the same tone as terrorists. And indeed, I believe that he was um, influenced, and apparently there is some investigation going on as to whether or not he was affiliated with some terrorist group or at least privately read literature about terrorism and identified with suicide bombers. And um, he also, uh, there was a tattoo um, of sorts in which he, on his arm in which he called himself Ishmael Axe and that may also uh, relate to his wanting to copycat terrorist violence and martyrdom and of course um, it also you know the first line of Moby Dick is call me Ishmael and Queequeg um, in one of the early scenes gets into bed with him they don't have sex but certainly Ishmael was afraid that he was going to be brutalized and or sexually abused by this man who he didn't know. So, there we have it. In a nutshell, the uh, ten traits, the typical traits of a mass murderer and uh, the traits that Cho Sung We unfortunately fit too well. So you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And stay tuned as we talk more about how media and violence are strange bedfellows.
the Internet's premier talk radio station, voiceamerica.com. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood Jet Set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with President of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. The Kerry Douglas Show, with the CEO of Worldwide Music Incorporated and the founder and publisher of Gospel Truth Magazine, Kerry Douglas. By tuning in weekly, you will gain insight, tips, and tools to help get your career started. From how to market yourself to distribution of your product, learn the power of faith-based marketing and much more on The Kerry Douglas Show. Join Kerry each week with guests from the gospel music industry, entrepreneurs, speakers, and authors as they discuss faith-based news, events, and trends. The Kerry Douglas Show with Carrie Douglas broadcast each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, and is brought to you by Gospel Truth Magazine and Worldwide Music Incorporated on the Voice America channel. The Carrie Douglas Show with Carrie Douglas, your premier source for faith-based entertainment, news, events, and trends. Muscular Development presents Noble Radio, bringing you the latest news, gossip, and controversy from the world of bodybuilding. Uncensored, uncompromised, and unrestrained in true MD style. Hosted by the infamous muscle mob, Larry Pepe, John Romano, and Dave Palumbo. Welcome top IFBB professional bodybuilders, industry insiders, and characters you won't find anywhere else every week. Noble Radio broadcasts each Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. If you've ever wondered what the Stern Show would sound like if Howard was a bodybuilding fan, then tune in and find out. Noble Radio, uncensored, uncompromised, unrestrained. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about violence and media and how they are strange bedfellows. And my guest uh, now is Dr. Nicole Tartaglia, who is a fellow in developmental behavioral pediatrics at UC Davis, the UC Davis Medical Center Mind Institute in Sacramento. Uh, Dr. Tartaglia, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Now, you are a spokesperson for um, the organization KSNA, correct? Yes. Knowledge, Support, and Action. And why don't you just tell us first what that organization does? Right. So KSNA stands for Knowledge, Support, and Action, and it is an organization dedicated to helping individuals with one or more extra X or Y chromosomes and their families. Okay. And... Your um, organization <laughs> was not very happy with the CSI uh, Miami 
season finale. Now, first of all, how did um, how did someone in your organization get to see that before it aired last night? Well, you know, I'm not actually sure that anybody saw the full episode before it aired last night, but they did see the um, promotional materials on the on TV the days before, and it was those materials that greatly disturbed us and made us concerned about the content of the show. And could you tell us why? Yes, because it was featuring um, the criminal or the serial killer in the CSI episode was a male who had an extra Y chromosome, and he was um, would brand his victims with a scar or in the shape of a Y after he killed them. Yeah. And so this is very disturbing because <laughs> it is portraying, obviously, that, um, you know, males with this extra Y chromosome or what CSI was portraying as the criminal chromosome was, criminal chromosome. Um, was, I'm sorry. Yes, criminal, I was just re- I'm getting just a little feedback here on my phone, so yes, I'm having but, a little bit of a tough time. Yes. Um, can you fix that? Um, yeah, hold on one second. Hello. Yes, that's okay. there. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, so I'm sorry. Where was I? You. Were, I, I was just. I was just making it clear that you were saying the criminal chromosome. Right. And so, um, you know, this is what CSI had been portraying as the criminal chromosome having an extra Y chromosome genetically predisposes somebody to criminality, which um, was something that was shown in the media back in the 1960s, but since that time has definitely been disproved by um, a significant amount of research. And there's many, many, many males um, with XYY chromosomes who do not, um, who, it, it shows that the males with the XY chromosome are not predisposed to criminal behaviors. Well, okay. First, could you just briefly explain what um, the XYY chromosome means, you know, what all that is about? Sure. So typical males um, in the population have two sex chromosomes, or two X and Y chromosomes, and um, they inherit an X chromosome from their mother and a, ma- and a Y chromosome from their father. And in XYY syndrome, what happens is that there's an additional Y chromosome that's inherited, um, and it occurs in about one in a thousand males, um, and they, there has been a lot of research looking at these children and adults um, showing many different features of having the extra Y chromosome as well. And so we could talk about some of those if you want to. Yes, but first let's talk about the um, CSI because, okay, the story of CSI was that there were, uh, starts out where they find a woman dead, <laughs> typical, right. and uh, with, with a Y marked on her chest. And... Um, they start looking for the killer and with various twists and turns and it turns out that the killer of this woman and three previous women in Boston um, was a man named Lucas Wade and uh, it turns out that he was aware that he was born with an extra Y chromosome he had an XYY uh, genetic pattern and um, he um, he was and his, he was part of a study when he was born, 
And so the doctors told his parents that this was the criminal gene. Um, and indeed, he did wind up killing animals and bullying kids at school. And his father called him a freak when he was a kid. Right. And um, even now, the, the thing is, and, and then it turns out the twist, I mean, it was already on. We can tell people the end. The twist <laughs> is, while he's in jail, um, you know, being investigated or held for these, this crime, um, another similar crime happens. Another woman is killed with a Y on her chest. Of course, it turns out that that was made by a left-handed person, and he was right-handed, and so it turned out to be his sister who was protecting him. And it turned out that that's because they, there was this family secret that when um, the sister was, let me see, when the sister was six and... Um, Let's see, and and her sister was four, and he was, I guess, somewhere around the same age in there. Um, she, the, the older sister accidentally pushed her younger sister down the stairs, pushed her too hard down the stairs, right. and so she wound up dying. And this sister uh, told her mother that Lucas, her brother, did it, and the mother said, of course he did. They warned us about him. So the sister felt as though she, she felt guilty, and she felt that she needed to protect him from uh, and somehow get him out of jail because it was because he had sort of taken the blame for her years ago. But now, okay, and, and presumably you saw this last night too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so it turned out not really to be as bad as you thought it was going to be, though, was it? Because in fact, they made the point that. Um, that the, that the theories or the earlier studies were debunked. Right. Well, the professionals actually on the show that they were, or the characters who were playing the professionals on the show, did have a few lines in the show that showed that, you know, the X or Y chromosome um, and the research that led to it did lead to some debunking of that initial myth. But there's still a lot of concerning things because, you know, this, um, just the, the stigmatization that already goes along with this, that KSNA is trying very hard to come past this idea of the XYY causing criminality. And this show just brings that up again and brings it into the forefront. And many more people saw the clips on the air and the promotions than they actually saw yeah. the, um, you know, the full episode, and there were just really a few lines in there that kind of, you know, went against the um, the idea of the criminal gene and everything else. Yes. So, so that's concerning. And then but, the other thing that is still concerning is just the idea that, um, you know, that... Um, that having an extra Y chromosome or knowing about um, the Y chromosome will lead to a kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy of poor behavior or criminal behavior when actually we know from many studies and from many experiences with individuals that um, parents who know about the extra Y chromosome before birth are armed with information that can actually help them improve the outcomes of their children. Yes. And so, you know, it's just that that initial um, knowledge of it um, usually leads to significantly improved outcomes, com in, you know, as opposed to a serial killer. Well, except that I thought that... Um I thought that the fact that it had this backstory, which showed that it was the parents' uh, expectation of this, um, that of his being a freak, of his being a killer, being a criminal, that actually caused him 
to, you know, because of what happened with the sister and, and just in general, the way they would have treated him growing up caused him to have this self-fulfilling prophecy where indeed he grew up with so much rage that he did kill somebody or kill several people. Right, but it doesn't represent what the true, you know, working with children and adults with XYY, um, it doesn't represent what those males are truly like. And so... um so I think that's where we're still upset about it. It still portrays him as a man who was in jail and who um, was a serial killer. Yes. And who, at the end of the episode, kidnapped a young girl. And, um, you know, yes, so but that there's was still for... a lot of negative portrayal in there. Yes. Even but, but... though, you know, there was a little bit of debunking by the... Yes. But, but when, he, when, he, when he kidnapped the little girl, I mean, that part mm-hmm. was a little strange sort of a, <laughs> at the end. But, right. but the idea was he was trying, you were supposed to think, oh, God, what's he going to do to this little girl? When, in fact, he was trying to protect the little girl from his sister because his sister had accidentally killed her sister. Right. Their sister when, when they were young. So, I mean, I'm not saying that this is a, uh, I don't <laughs> a think you should be showing this. Uh, what? It was not a fantastic plot. Well, I mean, and, and I don't think that this should be a, uh, you should be showing this at your orientation meetings. Unless, right. Unless it's actually to get people motivated to be activists, you know, and to make the media portray things more accurately. But, but you know, what also is interesting is I've been doing some reading on this and, and, um, one of the things that they, the studies do tend to agree on is that men with XYY are taller than average men. They're usually six feet three or over six feet. And the actor who was portraying Lucas, the killer, was short. Did you notice yeah. that? You know, I didn't notice that he was short, but it is true that males with XYY are typically taller and especially out of proportion to their family history. Yes. Um, well, but we, not we necessarily need... all in the high percentiles. Yes, we need to take a break now, but we will be back with this. <laughs> <laughs> My guest is Dr. Nicole Tartaglia. She is a spokesperson for the group KSNA, Knowledge, Support, and Action, that represent families and individuals with extra X and or Y chromosomes. So stay tuned. We'll be talking, continuing this discussion about CSI and whether or not it portrayed XYY accurately. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. authority and internet talk radio voiceamerica.com live in the green life with kim carlson echopreneur author and green living maven brings you an upbeat fun exploration of the doables of living a more earth-friendly life kim cuts through the noise and urban myth of green do's and don'ts and shows that it is possible to live green easily from hip organic weddings to exotic echo travel to healthy personal care products get the most current trends and tips from the experts for living a more planet-friendly and human lifestyle live in the green life with kim carlson broadcast each thursday at noon pacific 3 p.m eastern on the voice America Channel, Living the Green Life, for a human, healthy, and planet-friendly lifestyle. Whether by choice or by circumstance, the statistics of the effects of missing fathers and the impact on our children, our neighborhoods, and our communities is staggering. 
How can we interrupt this pattern of violence, gang activity, drug use, and sexual activity among our fatherless children? On Changing a Generation, with author, inspirational speaker, life coach, and host, Terrence Wilson, the focus is on elevating the mindset of this current generation by unveiling viewpoints that inspire people to reach for their dreams. Terrence and his guests reveal how building family relationships, becoming an entrepreneur, and living a Christian life develops future leaders in the next generation of children. Changing a Generation with Terrence Wilson broadcast each Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Changing a Generation. Bringing a message of deliverance to the fatherless on News Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guest, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Dr. Nicole Tartaglia. She's a spokesperson for KSNA, which is Knowledge, Support, and Action, an organization dedicated to helping individuals with one or more extra X and or Y chromosomes and their families. And we're talking today about X, XYY, the extra Y chromosome, um, and the uh, CSI finale from last night. And, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, I mean, they, they did make reference in CSI to a study um, having been carried out at a prestigious uh, Boston hospital, you know, in the past. And that was the, um, that was the study that showed that the uh, XYY chromosomes in a, did indicate that someone was going to be a criminal. But, you know... I, I must say, I'm not really, um, I'm not really 100 percent, you know, convinced that um, this has been totally. I mean, when you look at, it's so interesting to read the literature about this because it really um, vacillates. I mean, it really is. It doesn't. It, it for example, some <laughs> of the things that it says about uh, about you know, people with X, men with XYY, is if, um, one thing that I'm reading from uh, a hospital in London, aggression is not more frequently observed than other children. The impact of the environment can be significant. XYY boys seem to cope less well with difficult social circumstances than their brothers and sisters, for instance, when dealing with family um, conflicts and stress. For this reason, a strong, supportive home environment is especially important. 
Then it does say um, down. some research has suggested that boys with XYY are more likely to take part in minor crime than other similar boys with only one Y, and so on. Other research, too, puts it in, I mean, it's as if it's like they're being politically correct. They don't want to set this um, self-fulfilling prophecy in motion, you know, by saying these people are bound to be criminals, but, but, I mean, you know, obviously, that there have been studies that show that there are behavior problems, temper tantrums, things like that, and that the boys may be slower to learn to talk, their IQ may be less, um, they may, it says here, they may have behavior problems such as temper tantrums that may require referral to a child guidance clinic. And obviously, if children are having temper tantrums and having problems in school because they're, you know, um, having a lower IQ or also learning disabilities, more distractible, um, you know, this can cause secondarily uh, people, children to feel, you know, uh, teased or to feel uh, inferior, and that could start creating rage, which then creates crime. Well, in XYY, so all of that that you said is um, generally correct. Um, in general, the IQs, if you take a big group of them, the IQs are generally normal compared to the normal population. But you're right that they're at increased risk for learning disabilities and speech delays when they're younger, and they do have um, some increased risk for some behavioral problems. The important thing to know, though, is that um, XYY occurs very frequently, one in a 1,000 males, and so are actually born with XYY. And in the course of, if you look at that, we know that from screening studies of babies where every baby that was born at birth was screened, that was born at birth was screened for their chromosomes. And then they found XYY in about one in a thousand. If you look at the number that are actually diagnosed, we do not diagnose um, up to 90% of those individuals with XYY. So only 10% of all individuals with XYY are diagnosed. And what that means is that, um, and the two reasons they're most commonly diagnosed are there's a large group that are diagnosed prenatally in women who have an amniocentesis before birth, and then there is a large group that is diagnosed after birth because of early speech and language delays or developmental delays. And so that's the second group that we often find them in. Um, or other kinds of developmental problems. And so um, what's really important to know is that there's a very significant spectrum, and um, we're not finding a large majority of males with XYY in, as medical professionals. We don't diagnose them because they're not having significant problems. So a lot of the research and other information that's out there is very biased by what we call ascertainment bias, or that we're only looking at that small percentage of boys with XYY who are tested because of developmental delays or other problems. But they are at increased risk for having speech delays and some behavioral difficulties such as, you know, some impulsivity sometimes and um, temper tantrums and other things. And the important thing to know, though, is that if they do have um, behavioral difficulties and some other manifestations of um problems related to the behavior and the developmental disability, most of the time if there is, if there are behavioral issues, they're not related to, you know, malicious, aggressive acts like being a serial killer. They're more reactive to teasing by peers or, um, right. or you know, environmental stresses upon them. 
Right, and which then, you know, fuels, I mean, I was talking in the earlier part of the show about um, Cho Sung Wee and um, about, you know, the rage that he built up during his childhood. I mean, that's kind of the problem, that um, whatever is causing it, the family or family conflicts, peer conflicts, um, that someone can build all of that up until they explode in some kind of violent act. I mean, don't you think, I think, I see it as sort of a difficult problem in the sense that we don't want to stigmatize, you know, because there isn't anything really that once, um, let's say, a mother has amniocentesis and the doctor tells her that the baby, you know, her son is X, Y, Y, there isn't anything that can be done about it. So, of course, you don't want to, um, you know, give the family the the news as though, you know, you're going to be uh, raising a, a serial killer. But on the other hand, you know, I think to be too politically correct and say really, you know, it's sort of negligible, the, the impact is negligible, doesn't then allow the parents to provide the special environment, more enriched, more um, affectionate, you know, more loving environment, more, I, I read in a number of studies where they keep suggesting that you should find lots of outlets, physical outlets for the extra energy that the boy <laughs> has. I mean, now, if that isn't a euphemistic yes. way of saying <laughs> right. things, but, but I mean, yes, it's true. And so if people knew that that's what they should be doing, parents, then that would be a good thing. Right. So it does, I mean, there are some um, important things that, you know, what we're trying to get across is we don't want to minimize the fact that some of these kids can have some um, significant problems with developmental disabilities and other types of neurodevelopmental disorders like ADHD or some behavioral difficulties related to the XYY. And those kids do need supports, and the families need the access to services because their um, developmental problems are related to the to the extra Y chromosome. And that leads us perfectly into your giving out the um, web address so that people can go to it and find out more information. Sure. So the web address for KSNA is um, www.genetic.org. Okay. And it has many different links to all the different X and Y chromosome variations, including XYY and then other variations such as XXY and triple X syndrome in females. Okay. And that website again was www.genetic.org. Mm-hmm. And um, yes, it is very interesting. And are you going to be doing, well, we're sort of running out of time, but it is. Um, is the organization going to be doing something further in regard to CSI? Well, they have contacted many different media outlets and other um, agencies in order to um, talk about the the problem related to the stigmatization of XYY being a criminal chromosome mm-hmm. as opposed to relating it to the developmental disability mm-hmm. that, that's associated with it. And... Um, and there will also be information on the website that's available related to the, the position of KSNA oh, on great. the CSI Miami episode. Okay, again, that's uh, genetic.org. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Nicole Tartaglia, for joining us. Uh, Dr. Tartaglia is a fellow at the uh, UC Davis Medical Center in Developmental Behavioral Pediatrics. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. What would you